Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this episode. My name is Joy Wright, and I'll be your host today because this episode is going to be a little different. We had live preaching at our four campuses this past Sunday, and so I'm joined by pastors Clay Wright, Charlie Miller, and John Jacobs. Welcome, you guys. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Good to be here. <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to watch all of your sermons, sadly. Uh, I did like a brief overview, but not as in-depth. But even so, I do love the unique perspectives that all of our preachers bring to the table. You are all wrapping up our Into the Deep sermon series, and we are looking at Luke chapter 5, 12 through 16. Uh, so before we jump into things, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we love to continue the conversation that started on Sunday in the sermon because we believe that God can help us understand him through conversations with each other. So to start it off, my first question is, what's the SparkNote version of your sermon, and what ministered to you the most in the passage as you studied? So I don't want to go first, but I'll say this. Clay, you may have just lost your job. I know. I was about to say, I could have done it better myself. Wow. (laughs) Come on, Joy. Come on. All right. Oh, stop. Go ahead. Oh, gosh. So, um, yeah, so Luke 5 the SparkNote version of my sermon. Well, so first of all, the title of the sermon, if you have like your Bible open, is usually Jesus heals the leper or the healing of the leper, something like that. Because spoiler alert, Jesus heals a leper in that sermon or in mm. the passage. But in my sermon, I really tried to focus in on kind of two points. The first is, so you have this leper approaching Jesus, and the kind of the cultural baggage that would have been associated with that, and the um, the fact that the leper was an outcast in that society and just all the tension that that brings with it. So you've got, you've got all these questions posed and all this tension posed by the approach of the leper. And then you see Jesus um, defying those expectations with his response. So point one was, let's look at the leper a little bit and how he approaches Jesus and the questions that that brings. And then point two was how Jesus responds can be really healing to us and kind of putting us in the in the shoes of the leper to realize that Jesus wants us to approach him with the brokenness of our life. And when we do, he wants to heal that and bring a mm. deep healing. That's maybe not focused on solving all the surface level problems all the time, but is trying to kind of invite us into a deeper engagement with community, a deeper engagement with communion with God. Um, so yeah, that was kind of spark note version. Oh, I got the nod, Charlie. Go ahead. Charlie gave me the nod. He gave you the nod. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i always trying to look for a central, obviously, idea or a, even a title to even center my thoughts on. And I, as you know from my title, I call it Crossing Line, just got stuck on, obviously, the, the tension of we all know we, we have this incredible holy God that we are so far from, and it's... Uh, just a powerful picture not even just of course we know that we're all sinners but this is also literally a filthy infectious human being and as well i'm sure we'll talk about going back to the law like you just can't you don't cross that line in fact that's even god's law and like it's what we all deal with in life like man i i need that i can't get to that this just feels terrible and it's so striking you have to just 
watch Jesus cross that, knowing that he's actually making, going to be making trouble for himself. This doesn't look good. Holy people don't do this. God doesn't do this. And yet, that's the only, you know, my main line there was, you know, divine connection is the only cure for the human condition. Mm. And so God just takes care of that. I'm just coming to you. I'm going to do it. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really the thing that I, I always said if I'm, if I'm one of the books I'd ever write would be called, duh, stuff we should always <laughs> already know as Christians. Like, wow, yeah. I messed up. I'm separated from God. I can't get there. But he can because he's God and is omnipotent. Mm-hmm. And he comes and all I have to do is call out. And, yeah, I thought, man, that's, that's it right there. So it's just yeah. the, the first beautiful picture, really, of Jesus doing things like that. So mm. Yeah. Which, by the way, this voice is Clay. The voice that was just talking is John, right? Yes, that's John Jacobs. Okay, yes. I just want to make sure. Because I just people, you know. What's this voice? That's a good question. Why don't you? <laughs> I think my voice is pretty easy to tell. Yes. Probably. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just hey, wanted this to. this is Charlie. Yeah, for the record. Yeah. <laughs> Avon Lake Campus Pastor. Oh, man. Uh, to, to boil my mind down, you know, there. this is one of those passages where it's, in, in a good way, it's hard to really stray from the truth. You know, it's just there. You know, Jesus engages with this leper. One of the things that I kind of really focused on in my study was the, 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 the idea that he doesn't ask for healing. He asks to be made clean and for cleansing. And, we'll, and what's the truth rooted in that cleansing? Um, he, he was asking to be restored to the community and restored to worship because as a leper, he was unable to do that because he was considered ceremonially unclean. And so um, I really worked on, on fleshing that out and, and what that meant in that context. One of the questions I asked at the very beginning of my message um, was I said, Hey, I, I, as we're working through this message, I want to think about who are you in this story? And that was just the question hmm. I asked. And um, who do you represent? And so then I, I went through the whole text and then I came back to that question. And I said, so who are you? And, you know, where, where I was kind of going with was the idea that and, and, and how it built towards it was everyone could kind of pick a different character in that story. It feels it felt like. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I really fleshed out was you are the leper because Jesus made him ceremonially unclean, or clean and he spiritually we are lepers. We're separated. We're outcasts. And he has made us ceremonially clean. Yeah. Um, because of his blood. Therefore, it should change how we view people in, in the world who are struggling, who are hurting, who, you know, are, are the outcasts of society because that's who we are apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the, the direction I went with it. So so what's interesting to me about this, did, I, did any of us make it to verse 16? Dude, I only hit two verses, man. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I did. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. Because I originally was going to try to hit verses 15. So verses 15 and 16 are sort of like, you know, they're sort of like the falling action of the account where yeah. the, the news about Jesus spreads to the crowds and then Jesus mm-hmm. withdraws to pray, which I think there's some really cool stuff in there. But I, I have some interesting thoughts on that because I was doing some studying because I was really going to focus on that a little yeah. bit um, because the undertone of this entire passage is worship to me because mm. um, Jesus is restoring the leper to be able to worship what, if if you read in the context in I, I believe it's in the Mark account, Jesus comes down from the mountain, 
and then engages with the leper. And then the Luke account, after it ends, it says that he, he, go, he retreats to lonely places or the Aramos, the mountains, to mm -hmm. pray. And so this account is literally bookends, has bookends of Jesus worshiping and ha spending time in creation with the creator. And it's a really cool, like that's a whole different direction. You know, <laughs> that, that makes it a cutting room floor. That's a whole other sermon. Yeah, How does yeah. Jesus prepare yeah. for ministry? How does right. he recharge for ministry? Where does he get his... Where does he get his power? It's from the, the presence of God, spending time with the Father. Mm -hmm. right. And uh, it, was, it was a very interesting thing. I mentioned it very briefly at the end because I, I wanted to go through, I, I went through all the verses. And so at the very end, I said, hey, you know, the lonely places here, that's the mountains, my kind of guy. And then I kind of moved down from there, made a joke about it. I, but I wanted to get there so bad because I found, and again, you're, you're obviously asking a bajillion questions when yeah. you're going through this. So. I find it fascinating again this this whole build up of this this guy who can't get over here's this holy man restores him heals him and the first thing the guy does is disobey yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I looked at it as isn't this such a thing in life like we reach out we we forgive a spouse we you know, we take someone in that's really harmed us and they don't come to church or they don't come back to buy whatever mm -hmm. you know the things yeah. we want them to do cuz I mean Jesus isn't play acting there he tells him hey don't just don't do this. <laughs> don't. <laughs> and he does yeah. right away. And I looked at this, and again, this is speculation, but I, I felt like I wonder, again, because he's human, like that hurts and, and it messed up. And I have to go back because, again, that idea of separation, and I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to have that affect, you know, what God's saying, my father's saying about me. So I need to go continually center myself on who I am. And even if this changes ministry for me, it's okay. I'm going to listen now. What? Um, I don't know. Just for me, I think we've all had that in ministry where you, you do something and it's amazing. And then like, what are you doing, man? Mm -hmm. You're ruining this. And it's yeah. to me, it was just a beautiful picture mm -hmm. of, well, the first thing I'm going to do after things go haywire is I'm going to go back to what I know, be reminded who I am, who my father is. And yeah, just... Yeah, and what, so what I found interesting is, like, if you if you go to the book of Acts, there's all these bad things that happen, and then it'll give a summary at the end of the account, and it'll say, but the gospel went forward, and, like, the message continued to spread, mm -hmm. which is always a positive thing in, in the book of Acts, which obviously is the sequel to the book of Luke. But, like, for instance, so this great persecution comes out and so you can read that account you be like man that's that's terrible i wish that didn't happen but luke's summary is yet the good news kept going and the church grew and numbers were added you know there, there were people added to their numbers daily yeah. so it's what luke is trying to say is hey but it was good mm -hmm. whereas in this account i almost feel like it's the opposite where you you can be tempted to think oh but the news went out which was good right like people were coming to seek out jesus to listen to him and to be healed by him so that's like initially I was like, that's, isn't that a good thing? But the more I read into it, I felt like there was this, maybe a little bit of contrast between the leper who's approaching Jesus genuinely, personally, not focused on the miracle, focused on like what you were saying, Charlie, getting back into worship and into community. Whereas the crowds chasing Jesus around. And there was one commentary I read said, apparently the people who were, seeking Jesus didn't find him because he often withdrew. And so, like, yeah. and that's, you know, not in scripture, but I think it's an interesting thought. Like, was Jesus withdrawing because he knew that the people didn't get it? And so is the crowd like this negative example in that sense? 
where they're chasing down Jesus for the wrong. So it was just this really interesting, yeah. and I, di- I didn't have time to like process all of that. Yeah, but I just I I thought it was again a, a whole second sermon. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, and the yeah I, I was I kind of I talked about that at the end about the the cleansing versus the healing, and I think that that Luke's trying to draw that out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, then one of the things I said is I said Jesus. Jesus isn't a vending machine. Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. Jesus isn't a get out of free, you know, get out of jail free card. Um, but Jesus is the son of God who came to offer us cleansing and mm-hmm. healing for our souls. And um, my my guess is that, you know, a lot of this was around the time when Jesus would often say, my time has not yet come. Hey, mm-hmm. pump the brakes. I'm not ready yet. Because I, I don't think people were ready for that message. I think they knew, they saw him as a great healer and they wanted to be healed. And that Jesus wasn't about that life. He was more about building his kingdom. He didn't come just to heal the sick. He came to build his kingdom. And uh, it's a big difference. So Yeah, and I did, I did. That was kind of my last point in the sermon was we want to make the miracles and the healing. We, we want to make Jesus about the miracles and the healing when every miracle was intended to point us to Jesus. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and that's where the crowd, that was like the fatal flaw of the crowd is they say, they saw Jesus as a road to healing rather than seeing healing as a, as a billboard for Jesus mm. and like how, yeah. Mm. Can't we relate to that? Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I thought that was so rich for me personally, but yeah. So in this passage, there was this emphasis on Jesus being both willing and able to heal or cleanse um, in the passage because the, the leper says something beautiful. If you are willing, I know you can. And of course, that's just such a position of humility. I can really admire that. But kind of along those lines, we did have a challenging but totally valid question written in. What happens when God doesn't heal? Is it always God's will to heal? And should we expect physical healing today? Super easy, not difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this this was a question that um, a woman came up to me after the first service who I I know suffers chronically from from, uh, just pain and difficulty Mm -hmm. for medical reasons. And she was kind of like, I think she was like, I think you did a great job. It was good. But there's probably a bunch of people sitting there feeling like, yeah, but he didn't heal me. Right. And yeah, I'm interested in your guys' thoughts because I also like have outstanding medical conditions that I've been anointed and prayed over for healing and haven't received healing. And yet I believe that God can and does heal today. So yeah, I do. Would you guys have thoughts on that? Man, I've got a ton of thoughts and a ton of questions, and I I always encourage people to start there. I think it's so dangerous, you know. Again, to say no, this is what it is. But I, as I'm processing it, obviously we're followers of Jesus. When we see him encounter people that that ask for prayer or ask for healing, there is undeniably not one account where he says no. So I start there as a follower of Jesus, like, I'm going to pray. Uh, first of all, it's just it's our job to pray and ask God for healing. It's not my job to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're literally commanded to do that. So for me, I look at that's an opportunity to strengthen my faith and my heart. Um, 
I'm always so challenged. It's just my job to believe the word of God, not what I feel, not even what I see. Mm -hmm. And that would be my second point in my own personal walk. We love when we see it's, it's Jesus and you touch him and it's instantaneous. But, you know, we do see other times. I mean, there's one time where he's, he's healing the blind man. And, do you see anything? Ah, I see something. <laughs> Are those trees? Yeah. And it takes him another time. To me, sometimes there's this, there's this sense of time even. Um, so, yeah, I, I think first of all I would start with that. Like I, I, I firmly – believe as a follower of Jesus, we're called to always, always pray for healing. And I know it sounds like a cop out and a cliche, but it's true. Like there is always some form of healing if we're praying and being touched by God that he's going to give Mm -hmm. if we're open to him. Um, You know, Paul talks about this, you know, we can see him saying, man, I I prayed and I prayed and I prayed three times. And I love that we, it's referred to as a thorn. We don't know. Is this physical? Is it spiritual? But there's this sense of like, I'm not healing that, but I'm giving you power, which is a sense of healing because that's where my power is made perfect. When you're weak, this is drawing us closer together, which is healing. You know, it's mm. it's mm. it's bridging that separation. It's pushing yeah, you out into ministry. So God has even taken my perspective at times. I wouldn't even say it's he didn't heal me of this. He's healing some other place in me to use this to do something because then I don't even look at it as an ailment because Paul's thorn becomes something. How many people have been comforted in my own life personally of like, thank God that this man of God still has something that I can connect with. And ironically, then there's healing. I'm like, (laughs) wow. So I know that sounds like I'm Mm -hmm. using words to be roundabout, but that's just the God I believe in. And Mm -hmm. um, if I'm continually looking for him in those things, I find healing in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is really interesting. I I also in that conversation brought up that uh, passage in Second Corinthians. My grace is if I think it's Second Corinthians 12. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because the. The thorn in the flesh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the thorn in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that she said was, I wish there was just one example of where Jesus said no, because that would make it easier for me. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that in The Chosen, there is it, who's the, like, the disciple in The Chosen who, like, walks with the crutch? You got, I I don't know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Is it, wait, mm, Big James? No, Little James? Is it Little James? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, I I don't remember who it is, but yeah. So then he he doesn't get healed, and like there's the, they depict this conversation between him and Jesus, and it's re, it's really interesting because we don't see anything like that in the mouth of Jesus in Scripture. Uh, to your point, John, you know he never says no, and I don't know. It's that's I think that's one of the reasons why the question is such a good one. But then we do have the example of Paul who prays and God says, my grace is, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. So I don't try to do you have any thoughts on that. Why don't Charlie jump in there? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes uh, I have a lot of thoughts, so I'll try to keep it, keep it concise. Sometimes we, um, we forget that there's a lot more to God and a lot more to Christ's ministry on earth than what's been recorded. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know other conversations he had with people. All we know is was what the miracles that were recorded. And so to say that Jesus never said no beyond the, like we see he never said no in scripture, but we don't know of all the other lepers, you know, maybe there are other lepers he didn't heal. You know, we don't know that. 
Um, but I will say this, that I agree a hundred percent with what John was saying. Um, for the Christian, the answer is always yes. It's just how big is our eternal perspective? Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a mentor, uh, he, he, he did a, a funeral and this, the message he gave really spoke to me and honestly it spoke to me so much that sometimes I've stolen this part <laughs> to, to be honest. It's oh, yeah, so, yeah. It, it was powerful. It was talking about how, you know, we, we, we pray for healing. We pray that this person can be brought home. We pray this person will be taken care of. We pray this person can be with family. We pray all these things. And the answer is always yes. Either he's going to be, either he's going to come home or he's going to come home. Either he's going to be with family or he's going to be with family. You know, either he's going to be cared for or he's going to be cared for. Hmm. Either he's going to be fully healed or he's going to be fully healed. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that really changed my perspective on a lot of things. And, and then how that uh, impacts healing as we, as we view that, that God is a God that fully heals. And maybe we don't understand the timing of it, but if we are eternal beings, especially yeah. as a believer and we have, we have hope, we have to understand that healing counts beyond the grave as well. And so do I have the answer to why God doesn't heal every single ailment that we pray over and over and over to take away that, that literal, you know, cancer or whatever it is. I I don't necessarily have an answer for that. Um, yeah. All I know is that we're called to pray, right? We're mm -hmm. called to pray. We're, we're, we're in, and we're called to get out and, and, and roll up our sleeves and go to work in prayer. And, uh, anyways, well, I was just going to say a lot of it comes back to the problem of suffering that we have to grapple with in this world. I mean, we're in the already, but not yet. Mm-hmm. And like you were talking about, Charlie, it's just having an eternal perspective. Like God knows what timing is best. And that can be a really tough pill to swallow sometimes. But honestly, he knows what's best for you. And sometimes it's that season of suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's hard because you still acknowledge the pain. Like you, yeah. you, you don't just say, you know, God has a purpose and it's totally fine. Like, no, like you're in that pain, but, but we do have a God who came down and suffered on our behalf and suffers with us mm. and sits with us in our suffering, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's a question I have for you guys to think sure. about as I'm thinking about that. So as we ask God and it feels like it's a no and we're, being maybe we're anointing, we're, we're praying, we're pleading. Um, what is a, I guess I'm trying to formulate this question in my mind, but does God, does God welcome those angry, frustrated emotions if we're angry with God? How do we engage with God in those situations? I mean, does he welcome that? Do we, sometimes I think as being a good Christian, we got to put away our anger. We're angry with God, we're angry with how things are, you, you know, I, oh, I, I can't say that to God. But I guess my question is, what does that look like to bring those emotions before the Lord and wrestle, you know, with the Lord on those things? I mean, obviously for me, you know, the, the Psalms are, are a prime example of, of God being very willing to let us, you know, vent our emotions out. Um, but I'm there being challenged once, you know, that's okay. Cause those are forms of prayer, but prayer should always, what it's supposed to do is not just for me to unload my feelings supposed to change me. So is he okay? Have we, I mean, I've had those, I've lost both my parents and other people that I've loved to things that like, okay, what, what was that God? We prayed and it quote unquote didn't happen. But what I've realized is he's willing to, to let me vent those, but he's also trying to change me as he's talking. And I've learned like, 
what I love is, you know, God's, God's speed is love, and that's a very slow speed at times. Again, we just want the instantaneous. And even when Paul said, what's the first, what's the first descriptor of love? Love is patient. And so what I've been challenged by is there's times when we're praying for people and what God will say, good, just keep praying. And we had a, you know, lady in, you know, Vermilion campus who, from the time I've been there, you know, fibromyalgia, suffering with pain, she come in Walker, Kane, been at her house. I mean, years. And the, the message in your head is a pastor or even just a Christian is like, okay, I'm not praying again. Cause that's going to be offensive to her. Mm-hmm. I feel like an idiot and I'll get this check from the spirit. Like, I want you to lay hands on her. I want you to pray for her. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I am not going to do that. And I, mm-hmm. I usually call it the five second. I got about five seconds to do the right thing and just talk myself. And is it okay if we pray again? Oh, go ahead. And it was so amazing. Um, Brian work, our student guy had been with us one time out to her house and we just had a very impactful time there. And, um, he was hearing some things from the spirit and he just began praying. I'm going to keep praying for her until I see her on a Sunday morning. Cause she got in so much pain. She couldn't. Mm. And next thing we know, it was just a few weeks ago. She called me at home. Mm. And again, this is years of fibromyalgia, 10 out of 10 pain level. And she's got this Southern accent. And she said, John, I'm just calling <laughs> to let you know that the Lord has healed me. Mm. Wow. And, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, well, I like, healed you. Like she's like, I'm like pain free, and I'm I'm exercising now. And oh my she came into church that next week. And then the story was not even just about her getting healed. It was Brian talking about God dealing with some pain in his life, mm-hmm. and how God had healed him by praying for her name's Mary Alice. And and so yeah, like it was weird because there was this mix of like anger and mm-hmm. confusion. And God's answer was. Man, just keep stepping into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's already done in my eyes, but I, I just, man, keep stepping into it. And I, I mean, I don't like that in some ways, but I, yeah, I think emotions are an important part. But I just see this again. I don't know uh, that whole love is patient thing, and sometimes God's like, just keep praying, man. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I th- so, and I'll just speak in my own personal experience. Every time I've asked God, "What are you doing with this? I hate this." It's tragic. It's wrong. It's the result of the fall. Why? Why is this in my life? Every time that I felt God answering me, He's always said, "I'm using it to draw you. I'm mm-hmm. using it to draw you to myself." Mm-hmm. Because going back to something I said earlier, the the healing is not the point. The restoration to relationship with the Father is the point. Right. The pointing to us to Jesus is the point, and so. God can use, like God can get glory in suffering mm-hmm. when suffering drives us to the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God can get glory in healing when healing points us to Jesus. So it's like God is going to get glory both ways. And my, the point of my life is not to be comfortable. The point mm-hmm. of my life is to glorify God. And that's crazy and it's uncomfortable. But I, I, I believe that. And, and, and so even when God quote unquote says no, I, and this, this is one of the things that I loved in the leper is he, he was this desperate person, but it was one of the ingredients to his desperation was suffering and it's his desperation that drove him to Jesus. And so like, are you willing to let suffering be a part of the equation that God uses to draw you to himself? And so for me, all those no's, and even, even when it's a possibility of suffering, it's always an opportunity to say, is God still good? Mm-hmm. Even come what may, like even if the worst 
thing happens. Is God still good? And I've never regretted saying yes because God has always used it to to adjust my heart yeah. and to change me. None so of it. I, none of it's wasted. My, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also some real freedom in just saying I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not God. And but I I trust the one that does know. I I trust the one that does know why you haven't been healed. And I don't know. There's some real freedom in that, uh, especially as leaders. Mm-hmm. We think we have to have all the answers. Sometimes just saying, it, honestly, what you're going through sucks. I don't know why God's putting you through this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yet, even in the midst of that, God, like if you change the question to, rather than asking, which it's a valid question, why is this happening? But if you change it to, how can God get glory in this? Like, the, I feel like there's answers to that question. Yeah. Because God can get glory when you maintain faith in the midst of the worst circumstances. God can get glory when you still choose to serve others in love. And when you still glorify Jesus, even in the midst of the the worst, you know, like, and so, and I don't know, I just, and, and some of that is my personal story, which mm-hmm. I've suffered less than most people, you know, like I, I recognize it's e- there's like a easy for you to say clay response to that, which, yeah, you're right. It is a little easy for me to say, but I, I just have had, I, I felt God draw me closer through those things, which I think is I'm, I wouldn't. I wouldn't erase it from my story, even though I wouldn't have written it in. Right. Exactly. So. It's easy to equate, you know, look at just specifically physical sickness or pain and see Jesus heal people, and it's instantaneous, and say, "Why doesn't God remove pain?" When the story of the Bible is God continually allowing this pain mm-hmm. to exist in, in people's relationships and people's circumstances. Every great story. Technically, like, why didn't God just, why did Joseph have to go through everything he went through? Why did, you know, Noah have to nail boards together for years and years and years? And why did Abraham have to go on this long journey and wait? These are all painful things and no one likes going through it. But man, pain shapes us. Pain moves yeah. characters. It's why the story changes. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think the danger is like, oh, well, Jesus comes and just, just removes all pain from people and he absolutely doesn't do that. You know, just the disciples alone, we see he's encountering pain in his own ministry with them. They're going to fail him on, on so many levels. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something to be said for that, too. You know, there's such an important thing. I remember hearing it. We're so bad, especially in America, of you know, if I have any ache or pain, I, I take a Tylenol. I'm going to go see the doctor. I shouldn't. My ankle shouldn't hurt at all. No, it's telling me I need to get off my foot. There's an injury. I, mm. I need to change, and God will use so much of that. If I've inflicted, and I want to be real careful here for anybody listening. I'm not talking. I don't know your specific pain, um, but there's so many of us have never gone to God and say, what are you trying to ask me to change before I discharge this? Yeah, I might have done something to my own body that God's trying to show me. I'm, I'm trying to fix this. I'm trying to draw. I might have done something spiritually in a relationship that I don't want to just mend this before I deal with your heart. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you. I, I don't just want to make it better. I want you to learn the lesson of pain mm-hmm. before we move forward. I mean, he'd be an evil father if he did that. Um, it's really interesting because yeah. that even – I mean, because another, another thing that I found myself – thinking about in this sermon is the goodness of the body, you know, cause Jesus mm-hmm. touches the leper and he, if, I mean, he, he wants him, the leper, Jesus wants the leper to feel the presence of another person, uh, and to feel that touch and just all the science that we have that 
underlies the significance of that touch. And kind of what you're talking about, John, is like God made our bodies with the capacity, like he made our nerve endings and our nerve endings are what transmit pain signals to the brain. And so like, there's something good about the design where our bodies can receive painful feedback and respond to it. You know, the, the question is if Adam and Eve jumped off a cliff in the garden before sin, <laughs> like what would happen? What would happen? You know, would they just respond? We don't have that information. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, and I think they, I don't know, maybe this is controversial. I think, I don't know. I think they would have felt pain. Their bodies physically would have responded to, right? I mean, it, I don't know. Let man, me make a, a plug for there's a Philip Yancey book. I believe it's called Where Is God When It Hurts? And mm. there's a chapter in there where we say, you know, man, why doesn't God just take all the pain away? And he says, let's play that out. So for the people listening, we're sitting here drinking bottles of water. We're sitting down on couches. These are things we wouldn't do if we didn't have pain. I'm thirsty so I need to drink. I'd never drink a cold bottle of water. I would never do it. I wouldn't need to. We wouldn't be having this conversation because there wouldn't be the pain of not knowing the answer to a question. Uh, you would never eat a meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would never have a spouse. You would never make love. You, why would I? There's there's this ache in us that draws us to, to – I wouldn't have a spouse because I would feel the same way about everybody. I wouldn't feel special about them because mm-hmm. they don't make me feel this way. You do. That's pain. And it was amazing. He called it the gift of pain, and I never mm. thought of it like that. You know, we would never look at a sunset. We would never sleep. <laughs> I wouldn't need to. My body's not exhausted. And it was. It just made me fall in love with God again in a different way. And Clay, to your point, it makes you ask questions. You know what? Yeah. What is perfection? You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, will we have questions in heaven? I mean, questions are painful. I don't yeah. know. And there's a beauty to it. So, And the, the only reason I hesitate is because in Revelation 21, it says he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So, And here's – I would I'd say, but if I have a tear, why is he wiping it from my eye? I, right. And so it's, <laughs> but it's that, it's that complex yeah. – you know, it's, I think – Yeah. But my, my point is that – our bodies, there are, there's a goodness in our bodies, even though it's been broken and tainted by sin. And that, that pain impulse has, to your point, has a yeah. lot of helpful realities. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, Charlie? Mm-hmm. It's good Charlie. stuff. Break, break it down, Charlie. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, that's an interesting. We need a, like a whole separate podcast. Yeah, to seriously. If um, Adam and Eve walk unpacking up Unpacking that. Yeah. This pain. Yeah. Just a series on pain. Just yeah, like, man. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, the next question is, what is there in the leper to emulate and how can we do that? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I wrote it, so I. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting to me is like, John, I got to listen to parts of your sermon on one and a half times speed. And you were really putting us in the shoes of Jesus, which is absolutely fair i and i i i put myself more in the shoes of the leper um because i and i guess i mentioned this earlier briefly but i think there's a lot for us to emulate as people who want to be always returning to the feet of jesus and surrendering to him and so what i what i saw in the leper that i want to emulate is that desperation and that hunger for jesus um that was totally confident in Jesus's ability, 
But what I felt was so amazing about the leper is he does not demand anything from Jesus. And like the one nerd thing that I, I didn't put in my sermon was when the leper says, if you are willing, you're able to make me clean. In the Greek, that's called a third-class conditional statement. Wow. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, basically what that means is, like in the Greek, in, in English, with our intonation and the words that we use, we can assume certain answers to certain questions. So if I said, you know, Joy, you, you love me, right? I'm assuming that the answer is yes. Yeah. Versus if I said, what are you going to do, sue me? I'm assuming the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Versus if I say... I mean, what would you do in that situation? And I'm assuming no certain response. The same thing is true in the Greek, and we can actually read that in the language. That's and interesting. And so a third-class conditional statement assumes no response. So it's not assuming the answer is going to be yes. It's not assuming the answer is going to be no. Hmm. That leper is totally placing himself at Jesus' disposal. And so he has this radical faith but he's not demanding anything of Jesus. And that's where I think some people go can go wrong with asking for healing, praying for healing, praying for any anything really is you try to like I just I get really hesitant when people say, "God, you have to do this." Because I'm like, "No, I mean, we're we should submit ourselves to God. God is we're not over God." And so I I really appreciated how the leper is taking this total posture of humility. But he's not sacrificing on faith. He's 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 got both. So mm-hmm. that's I I loved that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> for me that the like you said the word posture that was a huge thing. Um, how he comes to him, calls him Lord, and lays down before him. Uh, that was his first response, and um, <clears throat> he doesn't say if you can. He doesn't say if you can, please heal me. He says you can. So if you're willing, please heal me. Like, I, I know you can do this. I, I know you have, and, and I don't know how, you know, I don't know how much he knew about who Jesus was, you know. Uh, but there still was a statement there where he, he seemed to understand something, some level of who Christ was, because he understood that he could do it. He had the power and the authority to do it. Um, you can make me clean. Interesting, too, is that there's kind of an authority statement there that's interesting with the leper because it seems like if he's saying you can make me clean, that was an authority only given to the priests. And so in a way he's claiming, Jesus, you have the authority even over the priests to make me ceremonially clean, which is an interesting, another rabbit trail. So, yeah, man, that is, that is cool. Yeah. I thought, you know, for me, it's so fascinating. He knows his place. So yeah, he's he's got, we already mentioned posture. He's literally got his face down in the dirt. But there's also this sense of like, I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. And there's such a relationship to me um, that that we need as, you know, people to know. I, I know I don't deserve this, but I'm going to ask anyway. And I've seen people get in a way like, and I've done this, you know, we can get so enamored with our sin and almost feels good to like, no, I deserve to be over here. I'm going to, I'm going to drag myself around the dirt for a while. I'm going to stay away from church. I, I'm not mm-hmm. going to minister. I'm just going to, this is the 90 day waiting period. Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, no, I, I know I deserve to be over here, but I'm going to ask anyway. And there, there's such a beautiful relationship to me there of I know who I am but I know who you are and yeah. I know it's possible and I'm asking and I'm okay 
either way. And it's it's the heart that I really want. And I just think that's an important thing because I've seen people do both. I've seen the arrogance of, no, do it. And I've seen people walk around, I don't deserve any of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's just a, to me, there's a beautiful just place in there where I'm just willing. I know who you are. I know who I am. I'm asking and I'm, I'm cool with whatever you do. And, yeah, and in and, and such sparse words, too. I was really convicted. I loved how I really, between him and Jesus, I feel like we get caught so much. And, again, he never describes his condition. He By the way, you know, I'm, I'm Larry the leper. I was born over here. You know, what, you know how we got in this case. I was told not to hang out with Kenny. We all knew we had it. I went over there anyway. And so, and there was the whole thing. I'd... He, he doesn't get involved in any of that. And how many mm-hmm. of us sat in, in prayer things where people are just, were just rehashing to God what's, and he just, he just, it's the whole way Jesus teaches to pray. God already knows anyway. So I thought that was powerful too. Mm-hmm. He just, I'm just going to keep this real simple. Mm. And uh, yeah, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, so kind of likewise on the other side of things, like the other character in this story is Jesus. So what is there in Jesus to emulate and how can we do that? Well, I'll say it's interesting how Jesus touches him first before he says anything. Mm -hmm. Mm. He touches him and then he speaks. And um, he's willing to engage on their level where, you know, he engages on our level. He goes to the level of the leper to the point where he willingly touches the leper, literally equaling the playing field in that, in that physical sense. I think there's something powerful in that truth and compassionate authority over disease and then extreme compassion that he has to, to engage. Yeah. Cause if, if we're reading it right, that the leper's face is in the dirt, you know, Jesus can't, yeah, Jesus has to like physically move, like he has to reach down. I didn't even think about that until you just mm-hmm. said that, but Jesus is getting down with the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, that's like on his level with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me again, I just, so obviously when we're looking at him, we're thinking, okay, we're in our church leading people in the adventure being like Jesus. Mm-hmm. What am I, how am I like him? How should I be like him? And again, going back to the lack of words. You know, a lot of times people say, well, Jesus knew these people's heart. That's why he didn't say much. But to me, there's something there where, again, he, he does know this guy's heart. He, In fact, he knows this guy's going to disobey. Mm. And, and there's just – there's not these, these monologues about, okay, let's just – and I mentioned this in my sermon, but, you know, let's just stop for a minute. Let, let's talk about how we got here. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm going to do this, but – you know, you're going to need to go to the synagogue for the next two weeks. There's these things called life groups. You're going to have to get into a life group. It's called Lepers Beyond. You know, he just says, yeah, he just mm-hmm. says yes. And and going back to the theology of a God that, that does not count our sins against us. So I'm not going to bring it up. I find it fascinating because we do this as Christians. You know, again, well, I'm going to, we're going to let you in, but we really need to talk to you about what you did. And there's a level of importance to that. But I was so convicted by Jesus. He's just, yep, I'm going to do it. And this is what I'm going to call you. Not you are clean. Be that, man. Be clean. And I was convicted by that too. Like, not just you have it. Like, I'm calling you this, so go be that. Mm-hmm. I am, I've called you guys, you know, to, to be holy, so be holy. I mean, Jesus at one point tells us to be perfect. I mean, like, oh, we're never going to be perfect. He's like, why would you lead with that line? Mm-hmm. Could you be perfect for a minute? 
then be perfect, man. So, yeah, just the la- the powerful language of forward, and uh, really, really hit me hard. Yeah, I think for me, even though this wasn't a huge focus, I did I'd cut out a couple paragraphs in the sermon that I had written, focusing on asking the question, like who who needs your touch. Who needs your words that will reveal the heart of the Father? Who who needs? Mm. Because that what I saw Jesus doing and Jesus' response is he's reaching out to touch the man, to affirm his human dignity, to comfort him. He's speaking to reveal God's heart. That like Jesus doesn't want there to be any question. He's willing. He is willing. And so and and we can we can use our uh, like we're we are the body of Christ on earth. Jesus does not have a physical representation on earth apart from his body, the church. And so I feel strongly that even though I I think you can get into some dangerous territory when you're say, when you say things like when I walk into a room, Jesus walks into a room. It's like, okay, that's yes, (laughs) but also yes, but also yeah. You know, it's it's like a little sketchy, but in, in a very real way, Jesus wants to use our physical presence to minister to people. And he wants to mm-hmm. do that in and through us. And so I, in the, it, it's so weird because as a, as a Protestant, we, we do not treat the body very well. Mm. <laughs> like we, we're like, bring your body here and then sit down and don't move it for a long time while your brain gets dumped into and then leave, please. You know, it's like there, there can kind of be that. Um, and maybe we'll give you a little coffee to sustain you in the meantime. Whereas I, th- I think there are other traditions that emphasize the body a little bit more. But I, I just think recovering that, like, you know, not that we should kiss people, but that holy kiss, <laughs> like that yeah. touching each other physically and like shaking people's Absolutely. hands. And I think COVID has caused us to backpedal on a yeah, lot of that. That embodied and presence. I, I want to keep kind of pushing the vision of. Bodies matter. Body bodies bodies are important. We will have mm-hmm. bodies forever. This is not like yeah. a limited time thing. God made us to have bodies. They're mm-hmm. good, and um, you know, appropriate mm-hmm. physical touch is great. I, you know, we I feel like we think about physical touch in so many negative ways because it can be really easily abused. But the the pain and the brokenness caused by the abuse of physical touch, it's it's proportionate to the good of really healthy and appropriate physical touch. Bro. And so I, I just, I don't know if there's, you know, I don't know. Should we experiment on our life group of like holding hands? I, I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that, but I just, I, I love the vision that Jesus gives. And I want to be a part of a church that cares about the body and not just the mind. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. love it. That's good. Yeah. So I'm going to read the next question and then I'm going to read a few verses and I'll read it again. Okay. So the next question, um, and actually I think this is the last question, unless you guys have any other thoughts after this, but it is, did Jesus technically disobey the law by touching the leper? And does that matter? And so the verse I'm going to bring up, that's Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, where it talks about how you treat lepers in Israel. Uh, and so it says, 
Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So again, did Jesus technically disobey the law that's written here by touching the leper? And does that matter? Clay. I was about to say, yeah, Charlie. Do you just want to quote the entirety of Romans? Well, no how. (laughs) Yes, this is a really interesting question, partly because I don't want to perjure myself by saying something without having recently read the entire book of Leviticus. But if I'm... So let me pose this as a question. Does it ever say you're not allowed to touch a leper, or does it just say anyone who touches a leper will become unclean? Because what's so what's interesting to me is being unclean isn't a sin. It's it's the result of living in a world that's impacted by sin, and maybe it's not it's it's wrong it's it's reflecting a brokenness and a wrongness. But like you can be unclean well, from women were ceremonially unclean every month um, yeah. with their cycle, and then they would have to go and get be cleansed before they could enter the temple. And so, like, are the women breaking the law when they're on? Uncle- and I would say no. Right. But I think, I mean, what you were talking about is that there's this, there's this association of being unclean or, like, there's a reason that you are unclean or, or that you have this ailment that it must be your fault is kind of like God must have cursed you. Like, I think that you got that, went into, you went into that in your sermon, didn't you, Clay, a little bit? A little bit I did because especially in that day, they, I think they had heightened being unclean to a point of sinfulness. And like for them, it was, you want to, you want to avoid uncleanness at any cost Mm -hmm. possible. And so for, and this is, this is what came out in the commentaries a lot is they would say that, man, Jesus is treating the purity laws with almost a level of complete disregard, if not a level of complete disregard. And I'm, because I know your sermon was all about crossing the line. I, this is what this is what I wanted to focus on because to me it's so pertinent to us as believers. Is again, I, I grew up in a tradition where the idea was, and it's it's very alive in in so many ways. Like you're going to come to Jesus, and then we're going to do our best to to fill you with the Bible and put you in a Christian school and put you in a Christian environment. And the whole point is maybe one day we'll send you out for a little bit to go talk to some lost people, but we're going to keep you here because we don't want the world to infect you because you're good now and we see jesus the most perfect holy man ever going out and saying actually it's just the opposite the problem is you're separated from me and the cure is in me so i need to infect you so i'm going to touch you and i i looked at that and i said you this is whether he sinned or not they clearly thought he was when he was doing these things jesus was known is a lawbreaker and over and over he does clay it's like he showed contempt for these like i will let this bleeding woman touch me i will go into that graveyard which a rabbi shouldn't do with dead bodies and heal this demoniac you know i will let this woman who's lived a sinful life they even say if this man knew who she was he would not let her touch him over and over saying what you need is my touch and so i i went into like ephesians because you do you have to sit there like is he sinning like he knows this guy is not clean and and ephesians one says that you know for he chose us in him uh to be holy 
and blameless in his sight before the creation of the world. And so going back to God's word, God made a decree before the creation of the world. Charlie, you're holy. You're blameless in my sight. I decree it now. Before I even made the world, you're blameless. So that to me is the standpoint of God's coming from saying, I know what's happening here in the world. I know what people see, but I know what I've said. Mm. You're blameless. And, and, and again, it, it, that makes a huge shift in my mind as a believer is what I want to know is I want you to know not the word that the world has given you, that the doctor has given you, that your friend has given you. This is the word God gives you. It's already there. He just wants you to believe it. You're holy. You're blameless before the creation of the world. And that just really struck me like, no, I, I would say no. I know why they're saying he broke the law. But he's saying, like, no, in my father's eyes, and I only do what the father says to do. I only say what the father says to say. My father's saying this guy's blameless in his sight. Um, yeah, so that's my two cents. Do you have, do you have two cents to add, too? We'll make it so, six cents over here. Yeah, so I would say <clears throat> I, I, w- I want to be careful. And I, not, not that this is what you're saying necessarily, John, but I would want to be careful not to say, Jesus broke the Old Testament law only because, well, it, man, it's so interesting because the Old Testament law like reflects God's character. And yet it's, and this is a tension that goes back to mm-hmm. when I was in college that I didn't fully resolve. Like the Old Testament law reflects God's character, mm-hmm. but it's also provisional and, and it doesn't, not all of it applies in the same way today. Yeah, and, and Jesus so, came to fulfill the law and yeah, prophets, so just, right? So Jesus fulfills the law, which is a notoriously, yeah. you know, people don't agree on what that means. You know, does it mean that he followed all the Old Testament law? Does, does it mean that he finished it in the sense that he lived according to it? Or did he fulfill it in the sense that he taught what it was really aiming yeah, at? Yeah, like the perfect interpretation. Right. And, and I don't, I mean, we could. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but, but what I mean is, I don't think that Jesus was being, I, like, I don't think that he was taking a red pen to the Old Testament, but I do think he was, like, I, th- I think the problem was more in how it was being applied in the first century rather than how it was written in, you know, 3000 BC or whenever it was written. And that's just, just because I want to, I want to maintain that. God is the same yesterday, today, right. and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, I believe, is in line with the point. And that, so, so he's, he's not breaking the law, kind of like what, what you're saying. Yeah. And yet he, so he is in the eyes of the Pharisees. Right. But he's not going against the heart of the Father, Absolutely. which is revealed in the yeah. law. Yeah. And if you look at it, almost every time that I can think of where Jesus treads that line that the Jews had, had established as what's breaking the law, it's always geared towards something that would really frustrate the Pharisees and the priests and the religious leaders. It's all about working on the Sabbath, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and he's saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It's, it's, um, spending time with unclean people. It's, you know, touching the leper. It's all these things that, you know, he eats, he eats, engages with sinners and, and these things. Um, I think, that was on purpose. Um, you don't ever see there, there's never a passage of scripture. We, where we go, ah, Jesus, he, it's obvious he lied here, right? 
How do we yeah. reconcile the fact that he lied or that he assaulted this person or that he, you know, these really blatant things, he uh, blatant things that are really clear, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain or these things. Like we don't, there's, there's nowhere in, in, in the gospels where we go, wow, Jesus did that. How do we reconcile it? Because he didn't where, where he quote unquote came up against the line was on all of these rules or misinterpretations of the old Testament law that were connected directly to the hypocrites religious leaders and those types of things um, because he's trying to, to, to show who he is and the fact, and, and his, his main target was the, mm. the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and their religious re- religiosity and, and how they, um, you know, forced religion upon the people and missed the Messiah. So I, I think that that kind of ties into that, mm. that deeper theme throughout, because I have to, I, I believe fully that Jesus was perfect and sinless, right? Yeah, and and we see that throughout Scripture, and so when we come to passages like this, where we we have to wrestle a little bit, we take the easy to understand passages to to un- interpret the more challenging ones like this, where it's like, okay, this is an interesting thing. Well, we know this based off of what John was saying about the the truth of of Scripture and redemption and God's heart in these things. We know it based off of you know what Jesus came to do and, and that He was perfect. So then, how do we interpret this story? So are you tracking with what I'm saying? Absolutely, and I, I realized after you were talking that. You were naming the Ten Commandments, weren't you? You were going through some of the Ten and Commandments, the ten like minutes, saying that yeah. Jesus didn't, you know, these these commandments that are the summary of the law. Yeah. Jesus clearly does not even get close to breaking them. In Love the your neighbor. Yeah. Right. Love, and yeah. And then I remembered some fun vocab words from a class I t- <laughs> about like you're, the, you're you're a man full of vocab words. At, yes, like the appetite. Every, every time I have a conversation with you, you say one vocab word. I don't know what it means. It's like you and run just, away and you I have to nod. look it up. Like I just kind of know the okay, Greek word for that beanie I, thing. Do you, do you, I assume you're not the only one. Do you, does he say things and you go, oh, okay, I'll look that up later? Yeah. Although there are definitely some no words that I say that he doesn't that he Joy, doesn't know. Joy's vocabulary is John, we're outnumbered. Okay, but not theological vocabulary. SpongeBob SquarePants yeah, we're, version. We're outnumbered. Yeah. So the words are the, so the apodictic law. Have you ever heard of? Have, no. So okay. So this is totally nerdery. But the apodictic law. So there's two kinds of law in the Old Testament. There's apodictic law and there's casuistic law. And I'm going to try to remember. So I'm I think about to fling myself out the window. Right now. <laughs> oh, I'm going to see if I can fact check you. Yeah, enjoy fact check me. Apodictic law. I think is laws that are with reference to God's character. So God says, you know, for for the Lord your God is holy. That's an example example of an apodictic law. The Ten Commandments they're based on, you know, who who God is. Whereas the casuistic law or like the case law, is how that gets how how some of those more general principles get borne out in specific cases. So for instance, mm-hmm. if your ox, you know, if your cart falls down a hill and kills someone's ox, what do you do? That's a case by case. So like casuistic law is a lot more. How do we apply the principles that reflect God's character to this society? And for in the purity laws, I think we're a, we're a good example of the casuistic right. law. Whereas the apodictic law, that's based on God's character directly, Jesus is a hundred percent in alignment with. So back to your point, it's these misinterpretations of the principles of God's character. It, I mean, is that? Yeah, I fact checked you. You're correct. Uh, the apodictic law Google describes as being both general and absolute, which would be in line like with their, their yeah. God's character. Basically it meant to be yeah. an absolute command. And then the cause cas- casuistic casuistic. Yeah. Casuistic. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that word was. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're presented in conditional, like if then statements, basically. I think, yeah. Apodictic is like, Adam, like you can bring it, it's, it's from like Appa from and then 
And then causal kind of with the, I don't know. I don't know know Latin, so it's like. And to me, there's an important element, too. Again, I I tell people all the time, people miss this, you know. Jesus, really, only message that he came to deliver was the kingdom is here now. Mm. I have come back to establish the way God really rules and reigns. I'm here to show you that. And so he's doing, I, I find it, like. I want to be careful here, but like Jesus basically saying like, this is ridiculous that that so many of these things you actually Mm. think there's nobody pure in the temple. You've broken something. You're Mm -hmm. all unclean. He he does that when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. Like Mm -hmm. it's not to make everyone feel bad. Like if you've just thought it, you've done it in God's eyes. All of you people that think you can uphold this, all these people that you think you're clean, I've got to come get cleanliness from you. I'm the only thing you can get it from, mm-hmm. and I'm not behind that curtain. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. right. Because, again, even like that, is God behind the veil now? Was he the Father speaking? Is he Jesus standing here? He, it's like, I'm all of it. And But they still think it's in these things. And he's like, the whole thing was just to show you, you need me, and I'm right here. Yeah. And I'm okay doing this. This is what God has always said. This was to point you back, to have you fall at my feet right. just like this leper did. He's got it right. Let's move on. <laughs> and yeah, and that's the simple Jesus that I know. And yet it's so complex because then mm-hmm. there's all these questions like, mm-hmm. but why? But why did God say it? And I think I, that's why I love that line. Like the law is like a, it's a, it's a teacher. It's pointing us to something mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't do this. Thank you, Jesus, that you're standing right here. Yeah. Right. So, wow, good. You very intuitive. You saw I was. Champion. Oh yeah, dude. I heard that throat. The, the thought that comes to mind is that the king is here, right? It's mm-hmm. this kingdom. The king has come. Interesting. This is something that uh, I, I realized is that when he sent the leper to go, and we don't know if he did this. We assume that he was telling everyone, people saw, people heard, but he goes to the priest, right? He sends him to the priest for the Mosaic law cleansing, which only happened twice in, I think, twice in scripture that we see recorded. Um, and so it wasn't a common thing. And so what it was, was it, it as much as it was a, a formality to, to make the man cleansed, it was an authoritative statement. Because the man would have gone and said, hey, I've been cleansed. Hey, who cleansed you? Like, how did that happen? This Jesus guy. Mm-hmm. He, he, he says I'm cleansed. He made me clean. I believe that he can make me clean. He made me clean. And so in, in a way, without Jesus saying it, he's saying, listen, the king's here, right? Yeah. I'm here to build my kingdom, and I have authority. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but there there's a hint of submission to the system that was in place. Because Jesus... Yeah, I think he sends the leper back for the reason that you just stated, right? Because, you know, when, when he says, don't tell anyone but go, I, and then obviously the leper disobeys, which mar- the Mark account makes that clear, um, yeah. that, that the leper is being a disobedient, and yet... The Luke doesn't, which is interesting. Because, and I, yeah. and I think I think what Luke implies is that Jesus knew that the word was going to get out. He just wanted... He he didn't want the healing to be the point. He wanted it like he wanted it to get out as the leper was being welcomed back into community. Mm-hmm. Like as as the leper was submitting to that system, he was going to have to report how did you get healed? It was by Jesus, and that's the context that Jesus wanted it to come out in. So I I don't know. That's a that's maybe a little bit in the weeds, but I I, I believe that the leper gets instructed by Jesus on the one hand, yes, to to show Jesus's authority to point back to himself, but also just because he wanted the leper to be welcomed back in and be able to worship in the temple and like all the, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's, it's, it's funny cause he's breaking the system, but he's also blessing the, like he's also Upholding saying, yeah, yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah. You, you know, do the stuff you got to do. 
to be back with people. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know, man. Jesus is kind of And then cool. Jesus just retreats to the mountain. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, man. Hikes away and just lives out in the bush. Man, man. my kind to be of guy. With God. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I feel you. <laughs> so one more, one more question that came up in my life group that I kind of along these lines of mm-hmm. Jesus crossing lines and getting out and, and doing that sort of thing. Something that somebody asked in my life group, which I thought was so interesting is, they said, okay, so we see Jesus going out and hanging out with sinners, being around these people who he wasn't supposed to be around. At what point should we do that as a Christian? Because doesn't the Bible say that bad company corrupts good morals? So it was it was this interesting, you know, you got all these young young guys chatting in a life and group. And gals. And they're like, they're, yeah, and gals. <laughs> but they're like, wait, but I was taught that I shouldn't go and be – because it would – you know, who you yeah. choose to be your friends – corrupt you know that that impacts you and has all this stuff so should i be friends with these people or not and should i like how do you handle that tension yeah i mean especially if you grew up in the church (laughs) too like that's a really common narrative in youth groups like hey maybe don't hang out with the kids that are doing drugs (laughs) yeah so this is interesting and before you say because i i want want you to take the lead on this but here's the interesting i'll just say this one of the enemy's best tools is to take truth and twist it right and we use truth in the wrong context because both can be true and they're both powerful things. I get that. But we take that truth and Satan keeps us right where he wants us because, Oh, you're not supposed to engage with those folks, right? You're supposed to isolate, be pulled away, be separatist. That's what you're called to be. And and it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a loaded question because I think that the answer can be, don't, don't be around bad people. You know, don't befriend them. But to me, company is is a very important word because, again, we see Jesus is completely unafraid of anybody. First right. of all, God doesn't traffic in here's the good people, here's the bad people, here's the – you know, he doesn't. What I love is, again, that word in is so powerful. I talked about John 17 and, you know, Jesus praying, hey, I pray that just like God, your father, you're in me and I'm in you, that they're in us. And there's this whole sense of unity and oneness. It's not there's the good – there's the bad. So he's he's unafraid to go to all of them. So for me, the, 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 to look at Jesus' life and think the message is that he's going to find the good people, teach them and train them, and have this, this group over here that keeps the bad people away. His whole point is like, I came to seek mm. and save the lost. And yeah. actually what I came to do is remind people of what they've been all along. You're lost and you're separated. That was a key word to me. This man's separated mm-hmm. from what God called him to be. That's my mission. I have four kids and I feel like I'm constantly – all I'm doing is they make mistakes in life or do things that separate me from them because that's what sin does by nature. Your attitude, your actions, whether it's physically, emotionally, you're separated from me now. I'm simply reminding you, you're my daughter. You're my son. I love you. And you're forgiven. I gave you this before you were even born, that this was never going to break with me. You can choose to go away. So we have to be people that are willing to cross lines. Again, this is all – I didn't come to save the righteous. I'm not here for the healthy. So, you know, yes, we absolutely have to spend time with people and let the spirit lead. I see Jesus over and over. He'll engage people and he'll know immediately. The rich young ruler is a prime example. They ask a question. How do I, how do I find this life now? What's that like? Here's what you need. Hmm. The guy rejects it. He looks at him and loves him, but he lets him walk away. 
He doesn't go, hey, hold on, no, just kick it. Uh, let me t- let me give you another metaphor, buddy. And I, that's an important thing. I want to always reach over that line. I want to always answer that question. But I'm okay if you got to walk away for a little bit, and I'm going to love you because the Father knows who you are, and I know who you are. It's when we reject people and we begin to say, well, they're bad, and, and they're bad news. And, um, and I think separation can be healthy at times, you know, but – we should always be willing. We mm-hmm. should always be a church and a body of believers. That that is God's son. That is their daughter. Yeah. If you ask, I am willing. If I'm yeah. like Jesus, my answer should be, again, not. Mm, I don't know. You've burned it too many times. Absolutely, I'm willing. I, mm-hmm. And I think that's the main message: is no matter what has happened with the separation, if your spouse, your kid, your friend comes back to you and it's been bad, 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 I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And f- for me, it always, it always has to land back with what is Jesus doing? What do we see him doing? Because we're not, you know, Jesus, you know, that, that quote is from Proverbs, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, there's no example that Jesus gives that's unwise. And so what we see even in this text is he retreats to the mountains. Why? Because he draws his life from the father. And so that was a distinction I made was if you're drawing your life from a place where the Holy Spirit isn't. So if you're if you're drawing your life out of a group of friends where all they do is party and drink and carry on, then you need to it's not it's not that you need to cut them out of your life per se but it's that you need to start finding your life somewhere else right and if that means that they cut you off so be it um and and that's Mm. you know it's like a and that becomes a surrender thing again like are you willing to i I love my life group somebody brought up the passage if so if you don't uh if anyone does hates their you know, doesn't hate their father. What's what's the passage I'm trying to quote? Father, is it, mother, Luke 14. Yeah, yeah are, is that what you're pulling that's up? That's it. No, no, that's just one of my. Yeah, that's unless you, unless a man hates his father, mother, brother, sister's own life, he yeah. can't be my disciple. Yeah, and yeah. so um, you know, Jesus, he's not saying. Well, I mean, I don't believe he's literally saying you have to have ire toward those people. Rather, you need to be willing to cut them off and reject them if it means that's that. If, if yeah. following me is what has to happen, yeah, they can't be higher than Jesus in your heart. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So, I yeah, Jesus' word, real quick, like, so people would say stuff like this in Matthew 17, right? It tells us how to deal with with sin in the church, and you know, um, talking about talk to them, take people with you. Um, so I'm in Matthew 17, verse 16. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established among the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And that's our slam dunk line as Christians, right? And then I remember somebody going once, and how did Jesus treat pagans and tax yeah, collectors? Yeah, so true. <laughs> and I was that's like, so good. whoa. In, in the words of theologian wow. bon, John Bon Jovi, shot to the heart. <laughs> I was like, wow. It changed because that is like our ultimate, yeah, treat him like a pagan or a tax collector, man. Just kick him to the curb. And then someone goes, how did Jesus yeah, really? treat them? And I was like, wow. Yeah. So Jesus changes everything, guys. Amen. Everything. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, how you refuel. So an analogy I think of is like a a, a truck, um, or or you know, a car. A car is meant to go. <laughs> we'll say a car for the sake of. 
You own a truck. You can I use own. the truck analogy. I'm dude. looking at you, you and you have a car. I, do I can say a motorcycle. We'll say a bike. We'll say a motorcycle for the sake of this. <laughs> So oh, my, you're supposed to hit the open road in a motorcycle, just like we're so for the sake of the analogy, we're called to go, right? We're called to go make disciples and engage the lost, go into the world. That's what the church is here for. But, there, but there's a sense that every vehicle, we need to be refueled. We need to be recharged. And so there's a sense of every single motorcycle needs to come back to the gas station to be refueled. And we see that, like you said, when Jesus retreated. So to me, that the bad company, the company is who, who are you recharging with? Like when you come back and you let your guard down, you come behind in, in that safe spot, who are you recharging with so that you can, your morale gets back up to a high level. I can go back and engage the world. I can get back on the front lines. Oh man, I'm beat down a little bit. Okay. I got to regroup. Got to Got to get back with my, my battle buddies. Got to recharge, get something to eat, get back on the battlefield. That's kind of, to me, how I would, how yeah, I would, I would, really good. Absolutely. would distinguish that. Yeah, well, I mean, unless you guys have anything more to add, I think that that's it. So thank you so much, you guys, for your insight and offering such great thoughts as we continue the conversation from Sunday and just delve into the richness that is God's word. And also thank you to all of you who are listening and to those tuning in each week. It's always such a blessing to see people hungry to learn more about Jesus. So until next time, we'll sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.